start our new sermon series on John 13 through 17. I'll explain, if you were not a part of the Sunday School class, where I explained that. Uh, just come next week and we'll explain why we're doing that. But uh, one more week to talk about um, the vision here at Tate's Creek. Um, when we gathered together uh, five years ago, I guess it's been now, when we gathered together um, as a team to uh, come up with visions and values of the church, which the church has never really had that. Um, when, we, when we retreated to come up with that, we, it, was a, it was a long, um, long week uh, together, exhausting week together, as we kind of poured over exactly um, every word of who we want to be, we want to value, and all these things. And we got done with it all. We had our vision and values. We were really excited about it. We were ready to go. Um, let's go build a church for the glory of Christ. Go to bluegrass. Let's go live out these values. We're excited and ready for the week to be over. And um, the youth director at the time um, hadn't spoken that much. Newly hired youth director, um, Jonathan Hansen. Some of you all may, may remember Jonathan Hansen if you were around uh, then. Um, the youth director who hadn't spoken much that week raised his hand and said, guys, there's nothing in this about prayer. <laughs> there's nothing in this about the Holy Spirit. Um, I just don't think that's right. And it was kind of this humbling moment where uh, the youth director uh, looked at all of us pastors who he hadn't been, he hadn't, he's not done with seminary yet, and he's not ordained. He, he said to all of us pastors, uh, are you forgetting about prayer? And so we came up, we said, you know what, we want a statement in there that all that we do around here is on prayerful dependence upon God's spirit. And we didn't know what to call that. But we wanted that statement in there, and we said, you know what, that's our confidence statement. What is our confidence around here? It's not in us. It's not in our ability to pull out this vision. It's in prayerful dependence upon God's spirit. That's a dramatic statement to essentially say, here's our vision, here's our value. Oh, and by the way, we can't do this. God has to do this. And so we do this all with prayerful dependence upon his spirit. That's what I want to look at this morning. And, and I want to do that with that last phrase there that Jesus promises he is with us always to the end of the age. That promise is saying our confidence statement just in a different way. I think the best way to understand and apply it is to actually critique the promise. As I was meditating on it this week, um, I, want, I had this idea. I want us to feel the freedom to be skeptical about what Jesus is saying here because I think it raises some real questions. Specifically, I have two in mind for us to consider this morning. Here's what I'll ask. Is this promise even needed? And is this promise even true? I think if we're able to rightly answer those two questions, then the truth and the beauty and the power of this statement is going to come alive for us. So is this even needed? And is this even true? First, is this promise even needed? Uh, let me read it again. Jesus closes the great commission that we've been looking at for the past couple weeks. He closes with this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you are the disciples in that moment, then those words would be a balm to your soul. You talk about what they needed to hear from Jesus. Jesus just told, think about this, put yourself in their shoes, Jesus just told 11 guys that they were to go and make disciples of the world. 
that would hate them, a world that would persecute them, a world that would eventually kill them. And so when Jesus says, I am with you always, could you imagine if the Great Commission ended with just go make disciples? It doesn't end that way. He says, go make disciples and I'm with you always. And you can imagine how relieving that would have been to them. So they needed this promise, there's no doubt. But here's, and I, I want you to put on your skeptical lenses here, but do you need that promise? Don't just quickly answer yes and dismiss that question. I want you to really test it. Do you actually need Jesus with you at all times? I know you need Jesus. You know you need Jesus, his death, his resurrection which saves you. You need Jesus to save you, but do you need Jesus with you at all times? Because that's the promise here. Not just that I will save you, but that I will be with you always. So maybe the question is better this way. We need Jesus, but do we need Jesus this much? Are we truly so helpless, so desperate, so dependent, that at all times we need Jesus. Because you know what it looks like if we're just playing the cynic here? It appears we're pretty good at taking care of ourselves here in the developed modern world. When you consider the prosperity and progress that surrounds all of us, the advancements in technology and science and medicine and convenience, I mean, I've got Siri. Do I need Jesus? It's a real question. A huge dilemma for the gospel in Western modern society. How can you convince a self-sufficient, self-reliant, want-for-nothing culture that they need Jesus when they don't think they need anything? Until, that is, a hurricane comes. And like that drowns it all. So that in a few short days, Americans go from needing nothing to needing everything. I wonder if you were to ask the people of Houston this question two weeks ago and ask them that this week, I wonder if their answers would be different. But that's not our reality, I realize that. But here's what I'd like to say. Maybe it is our reality and we just don't have eyes to see it. Here's a very important biblical point to be made. The floods of life are reminders of our truest condition. In other words, these are not isolated moments of need and desperation. They are moments of clarity that remind us of our continual need and desperation. That is, it's not just that when the trials come, we are desperate. It's that we are always desperate. And when the trials come, God graciously shows us that truth very clearly. So let me do my best. We're not in Houston this morning. I wouldn't have to do this if, if we were with our brothers and sisters gathering together, having lost everything and flooded churches. But here, where things are pretty good, nice fall day, Ducky won yesterday, life's good. Here in this context, let me do myself to, let me do my best to, to break through the facade of progress and prosperity 
and help us see the truer story that is going on at all times. Do you need Jesus at all times? Well, consider first that you live in a world that is antithetical to God and hostile to His ways. Since the fall, every culture is the same. A mixture, yes, of so much beauty, but yes, also deep, deep brokenness as well. And ours is not the exception. Every culture of man is hostile to the gospel in unique ways, and ours is no different. When you consider the progress of Western secularism that denies our God, when you consider the deeply embedded cultural patterns that are all around us and seem to be unstoppable, that celebrate what God hates and loves and hates what God loves, when you consider the overt marginalization, the increasing marginalization of all religious claims, and then there's you, a little exile in a world that increasingly hates you. There is us. This, this, this gathering may say, seem big to you. A church of a thousand may feel big to you, but give me a break. Our little exilic community trying to survive in a world that thinks we're silly. Give me a break. Our culture with its billions of dollars in media with its massive institutional structures, with its limitless idols and pleasures to offer, with its near monopoly on higher learning. Give me a break. This world laughs at our silly little church with our silly little rival worldview. But it's not just a fallen world we're up against. It's, lest we forget, the prince of this world. You do realize that all that we see are just manifestations of something far greater that is unseen, that is taking place all around us as we speak. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Yes, I, with my um, education and um, product of the enlightenment mind still believe that's true and happening as we speak. And we aren't playing games. The powers of hell utterly abhor this church and the members of this church. Seriously. Let's just assume, as crazy it is in our day and age, let's just assume the Bible is true and there are evil spiritual realities at work all around us as we speak. Do you think that they are indifferent to you? It is very sobering to be reminded that you and your family are in the crosshairs of satanic activity. But it's true. It is a reminder that we need. If you are a follower of Jesus who cares at all about the glory of Christ and the good of this community, the devil hates you and is seeking to undo you. But it's not just the world. It's not just the evil spiritual forces. We haven't gotten to the greatest enemy, which would be me and you. Forget the world, forget the devil. We are experts at destroying ourselves. When you consider the power of our own sinful tendencies combined with the allurement of temptation that is all around us, I am amazed we get through a day without destroying ourselves and loved ones, without making shipwreck of our faith. 
tendencies towards anger and bitterness and envy and gossip and, and, and lusts and the need to be right, the need for power, the need for control, the greed. Every day is a war with this enemy within and oh how powerful that enemy is. And when I say all of us, when I say this point, if your thoughts immediately go to someone else, not you, you are really in danger. So forget the world, forget the devil. I've got Robert Cunningham to contend with. So do not be fooled. Oh, oh, put together, strong, smart, educated, healthy, wealthy, gifted, prosperous members of TCPC. Do not be fooled. You are nothing compared to the world, Satan, and your own flesh. And it's dangerous and it's scary. Now, do you feel the angst rising? Do you feel the, uh, the veneer of sufficiency crumbling and the reality of helplessness pressing in on you? If so, then good. Don't fight that. Give way to it. For it is your truest condition every single day. Give way to the desperation so that you can now rightly hear your Savior say to you, but I am with you always. I'm with you. Fear not, brothers and sisters. I know the world is hostile. I know the devil is scary. I know your sin is powerful. But Jesus is with you at all times. Every second of every day, Jesus is with you. Now, doesn't that feel good? Yes, it feels good if it's true. Is this promise really needed? Absolutely. But is this promise really true? Let's answer that. Look again at the promise. And behold, I am with you always, and then he says this, to the end of the age. That statement to the end of the age is why it is right to apply this, not just to the disciples, but to you also, to all of us. The age he speaks of here is where we find ourselves. We are, we are um, in the last phase of redemptive history. The end, the, this last age, the last days, the scripture speaks of. We are in that last phase of redemption. Christ is, we say it every week, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ shall come again. That period between resurrection and return where the church is busy fulfilling this great commission is the final age of the story and Jesus is promising that he will always be with his people even to the end of that age. So he is promising that he is with you right now. So, allow me to ask the obvious. Where's Jesus? He says, behold, I am with you always. Behold means look, observe, see. Well, we're looking. Where are you, Jesus? Biblically speaking, is this promise real? Is this true? Biblically speaking, there are two answers to that. There's more than two answers, but two main answers to that question, and they are both reflected in our confidence statement. The first is a doctrinal answer, and the second is a practical answer. The doctrinal answer, doctrinally speaking, the answer is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here because it will actually be a major theme in this year's sermon series, particularly when we look at John 16, where Jesus, um, that's his lecture on the Holy Spirit. 
But let me speak to it briefly. When Jesus says to his disciples, I am with you always, he did so fully knowing that he was about to leave them and ascend to heaven. So, I'm with you always, and I'm about to leave. What do we make of that? Well, his answer is the Holy Spirit. In John 16, which we will look at again, Jesus tells his disciples that it is actually good that he's going to leave them. And he actually means that it's good that he's going to leave them. Now, after all that we said thus far in point one, how could it be a good thing that Jesus is leaving? We need you, Jesus. Why would it be good that you would leave? He said it is good so that he can send his spirit to be with us. Which means this. To Jesus, the spirit's presence is better than his presence. How so? The only way he can make good on this promise the only way that he can truly be with every single follower, every single moment until the end of the age is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He has to go that the Spirit might come. The Spirit is like this mass dissemination of Jesus Christ to every single one of us. And Jesus teaches that that is even better than actually having him physically with you. And indeed, that is true. The only thing better than Jesus with me is Jesus inside me. Thinking, right, thinking rightly here, we have more of the presence of Jesus in this moment than the disciples had of him in that moment. And like I said, we're going to explore a lot more of that when we come to John 16 this year. So is Jesus with us? Is this promise true? Doctrinally speaking, it is truer than you could ever imagine. He isn't just with us, he indwells us. You cannot escape him. But there's a practical way to answer this question too. And this is the way that the doctrinal reality of the Spirit's presence is experienced and applied. The practical answer is prayer. Do you want to truly experience this promise? If you belong to Jesus, I know you want this promise. Not just to know it, but you, you want to experience it. You, you, you. Do you want to know that Jesus is with you, not just in a doctrinal way, but in an experiential way? Well, he is waiting for you in prayer. The number one indicator of whether you truly believe you need and want Jesus is your prayer life. And yes, I know that hurts and is very convicting. It was for me this week. Conversely, the number one indicator of arrogance and pride and self-reliance and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness is lack of prayer. Because prayer is the language of dependency. It assumes helplessness it declares that you are not in control. It allows Jesus to be burdened with what is burdening you. Prayer is the access into this promise that Jesus is giving us right now. So if you want to know this passage, if you want to know that Jesus is with you, then you need to pray a lot, and you'll discover the truth of this promise. You need to repent. I need to repent 
of the busyness and noise, get alone, wrestle with the silence and solitude. And I know for us in our culture, it is a wrestle. But you need to wrestle the silence and solitude until it yields the presence of Jesus. That's what it means to pray. We've got to reimagine prayer away from this depersonalized act where we tell a distant God what we want from Him and instead understand that it is this holy, sacred, mysterious means of accessing the presence of Jesus that dwells within us. Prayer takes the very real promise of Christ's presence and makes it very real. So Jesus promises to be with us always. Is that promise true? Yes, it is. Doctrinally by the Holy Spirit, practically by the means of prayer. And that is why we say in our confidence statement, all with prayerful dependence upon the Spirit. Prayer and Spirit. These alone are our confidence because the presence of Jesus alone is our confidence. When we say all with prayerful dependence upon the Spirit, we're saying all with dependence on Jesus. And oh, how confident we should be. We don't call it a confidence statement lightly. We mean it. Oh, how confident you should be. Here's my question of application. If we had the parish groups up and running already, I, I would have loved to say, I want you all to wrestle through this in your groups tonight. Here's my question of application. What would you fear if Jesus were with you right now? Can you name anything that you would fear if Jesus were with you right now? If Jesus were literally physically with you right now as he was with the disciples in our passage, what would you be afraid of? The answer is absolutely nothing. Can you name anything you would fear if Jesus were with you? Would you fear animosity from this world? Would you fear satanic forces? Would you fear your own ability to mess up your life? Would you fear opening your mouth and actually sharing the gospel with your neighbor? Would that be scary to you if Jesus was walking next door with you to do it? Would you fear circumstances? Would you fear financial struggles? Would you fear the future? You know how, you know how your uh, vain imaginations just run wild? You hear somebody's strategy and you immediately personalize that and say, what if that happened to me? You play the what if game and you, you, know, you just constantly fear the future. If Jesus were sitting with you right there, do you think that you would fear that? Would you fear cancer? Would you fear death? What would you fear if Jesus were with you right now? The answer is nothing. And Christian, by the authority of God's word, by the power of his spirit which dwells within you, he says to you, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have nothing to fear. Lord, teach us this promise, especially now through your sacrament. Lord, there are many ways to know your presence, but this is, this is one of the most important. 
as we literally commune with you through communion. Fill us with a sense of your presence. Overcome our fears. Give us confidence. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to trust. Teach us to dwell in your presence by your spirit. May this meal here teach us all of that now, we pray. Amen.